Hey there, thanks for dropping in to listen to the Friday Reporter. I'm Lisa, your host, and for the last 25 years, I've worked in public affairs. And for those who don't know, that's where we take the hard questions for our clients from reporters. So to switch things up, I thought it'd be fun to flip things around. Remember that movie Freaky Friday where the characters traded places? You got it. That's the concept. So this time, we're going to ask reporters the questions. And we're going to have a little fun with it while we're at it. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Friday Reporter. I have a great story that I love to share about today's guest. Uh, I uh, myself was working for a uh, an organization inside Washington D.C. for all of just a few weeks and found out that that organization had, uh, let's just say, made some uh, some bad decisions that got them some really really terrible press. And I answered the phone on the first ring, and it was today's guest, and she was relentless uh and and factual and right and smart and asked great questions and it scared the crap out of me uh and the one thing i the reason why i love to tell this story is because i feel like today's guest really made me smarter and better at my job because uh the one thing it forced me to realize was that uh the conversations that happen between public affairs professionals and reporters are transactional and they are provided that you have uh, a thoughtful perspective on it, that, that uh, we both have a job to do, you uh, really can have an interaction that is helpful and uh, factual and is fair. And so with that, I will introduce my friend, Kate Shepard from the Huffington Post. Kate, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I knew you way back when, when you were at Mother Jones, but you have had a really terrific career and you've had a lot of really fun jobs. Tell me a little bit, Kate, how'd you get into journalism and, and walk me through just a little bit of, um, you know, where you've been and what you've done. Sure. Uh, so I'm one of those weird children who decided pretty early that I wanted to be in journalism. I, you know, grew up reading the local paper. I, um, I remember really clearly having like newspaper day at my, uh, middle school and, that just was like sold me on this being the career for me. I'm nosy and I love talking to people and I like finding out information. Uh, so I just kind of went, went into it early. I did my high school newspaper. Uh, the day after I graduated high school, I started working at my local newspaper. I asked them if they needed an intern and somebody had just quit and they said, do you want to do that person's job? Which seems, <laughs> seems risky in retrospect. But uh, so I started out doing like local news coverage uh, at 18. I covered the courts or cops or whatever people were uh Which paper people was were that? Out of the was office. it Cumberland County? No, where were you? It was in Cumberland County. Yeah, it was uh it was the Bridgeton Evening News then. Okay. And then it became the Bridgeton News because there's no such thing as an evening newspaper anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. And then uh it got merged with another paper and became the county newspaper in Cumberland County, New Jersey, and then that now has been merged into a paper that allegedly covers all of South Jersey, but it's really like not really what it used to be. Yeah, um so but yeah, so I worked there summers and winters for a lot of college, um, and they just would send me on whatever whatever was needing to be covered, uh, the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile coming to town or, um, you know, murders or fires and all those fun things that you do as a local newspaper reporter. A little of everything. So I worked there. <laughs> a little of everything. Um, so I worked there, and in college I studied politics and journalism, and I really wanted to be covering 
actually I wanted to be an international reporter. I thought I'd end up in Latin America, um, but that was also a time when people did not so much um, were not so much creating <laughs> positions abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up kind of fell into being an environmental reporter. I, you know, environmental topics were something I was interested in, but among a lot of other interests, I really wanted to be covering politics and policy. Um, and I happened to take a job at an environmental focused publication, uh, Grist, partly because. That was 2006. Uh, it was like I wanted to be at an online-only publication and learn more about um, online news. Right. I also really liked Grist because they were accessible and they had a tone that I felt was something that like people my age would actually want to read. And yes. I um, wanted to try. I thought Seattle seemed pretty cool, so I went out and worked there for a bit. But I got really into the environmental beat. It was also the time. It was a year that In, In Inconvenient Truth came out. It was you know kind of the end of the the Bush era. It was the beginning of the you know the election season. Um, I covered the 2008 election. That was really when climate and um, environmental issues were really you know at the forefront for a first time, I think. And so I just got really into covering it because I realized it was a topic that covered politics and policy and science and transportation and international affairs and health and so many things that I thought were fascinating political um, and policy topics. And so I just, you know, kind of went all in on the beat. I ended up working at Grist for a bit and then at Mother Jones. um, And then I came to HuffPost about seven and a half years ago, first as an environmental reporter and then moving into an an editorial role. Now I oversee all of our policy team, which includes our environment reporters, but also our health policy and labor policy and a couple other beats. Oh, fun. um, Reporters. Yep. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it, it does... You know, the, the common thread throughout my team is just that we are folks who are you know, really focused on policy and how the political discussions around that policy affect people. Right. How has that job for you changed? I mean, I mean, you have a busy life. You're not inside the Beltway anymore. You're outside. Lucky you. Um, but how has that changed? How has your reporting and your and your your work changed Um because of the pandemic, like over the course of the last year, I know things have shifted and changed for a lot of folks. How has that changed for you, Kate? I mean, the biggest change is just that like everyone became a pandemic reporter. <laughs> it's like, sure. okay, our environment reporters, they're pitching in because, you know, there are, are first of all, there are, under, there are environmental crises that underlie the COVID crises. So right. we, you know, covering that, but also the environment reporters were kind of uniquely positioned to be able to, you know, read and understand uh, both uh, science and also disinformation about science. So we kind of had to enlist them and that be our health policy reporters obviously have been thrown into COVID almost full time. Uh, sure. Our labor policy, our economic policy reporter, like my whole team has in some way uh, been covering COVID. Obviously there's, you know, it's the biggest the story. It has town. been the story of the year. Sure, yeah. Sure. Sure. So, you know, but at the same time, we're also still trying to cover all the things that we, that we, that are normally within our purview. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know what's happening in Congress, what are state, what are, what's happening at the state level, um, and so trying to keep people on top of their key, their core beats while also finding you know new and interesting and informative, creative ways of covering a crisis that is yeah. now stretched into a year. Sure. I think a lot of times, I think at this point, a lot of people are kind of struggling with like, okay, gosh, what do we have new to say about this? Right, um, right, right. And the one thing that I think uh, before it was COVID, it was Trump, right? It was, and maybe. Maybe not as much for your reporters, but I felt like a lot of your colleagues were having to figure out a way to tell whatever story it was that was being pitched to them through the lens of President Trump. It feels like a lot of that is now happening with the pandemic. Like, how do we how do we present this story through the prism that is the coronavirus? 
Yeah, it's that, but also then how do you not fatigue readers on things that they maybe are, like, that, they, they, that's all they've been reading about, right? So, that, like, all you've been reading about is Trump, and now all you've been reading about is, is COVID, so uh, you don't want people to, like, be so exhausted with the subject. You yeah. find, like, an interesting ways of getting at it and not sort of turn people away because they are tired of hearing about it. If you had a so piece that's, of... that's really a struggle. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and so part of the, part of the goal of, of creating this uh, discussion and this podcast was to try to help public affairs professionals get a better sense of what is working. You know, what, what is it like if you had a piece of advice to give to a public affairs professional that wanted to pitch you something like what, what's working today? What kinds of stuff are you seeing as the most effective? Like what gets, a, what gets, uh, what meets, comes, rises to the level that then could get written about? Uh, you know, I think the thing I always tell people is to make sure the pitches have like h- humans, like that 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 I it's something that I can directly make relevant to readers because they can see that there's a human base involved. It's not just a politics fight, or it's not just some kind of wonky policy change. Right. Is it real? So how do you? Yeah, yeah how do you like put the pe- people first? I um, mean, that's a huge focus of us at HuffPost in general, but especially on my team where we can, you know, policy and politics can get really. Uh, you know, can feel overwhelming or defeating or faceless. So how do you put people first? Yes. That's one. And then also just being, you know, kind of cognizant of what has already been covered, what's already out there, and what are what do we really see as, like, new and, and interesting and, and also, you know, and, and on some level maybe hopeful <laughs> um, ways of looking at uh, the challenges that are before us. Absolutely. When everyone has, like, when everyone has crisis, it's like you kind of have to give solutions and some kind of, some some a positive way of looking at things and uh, yeah. so how do we uh, how do we find that oh that's so good and i'm glad that you're doing that too because it does feel like a lot of it and it always has been i mean that's sort of the news right if it bleeds it leads has been a, a phrase that you and i've heard over the course of our career but um uh, but offering some hope and some inspiration too boys that is so necessary and needed right now yeah like here's an example my one of our healthcare policy reporters has been covering a vaccine rollout and he's uh, he did a good, a nice story that had a part about like why has West Virginia gone so well, and that was really great. It did pretty well because people were like, actually, why why is it going well in West Virginia? What can we learn from that? Um, we did a couple stories like that also on just pandemic. You know, what where where are, where are our policies working well, and what can other states possibly learn from that? It's right. been this kind of stories have done really well for us. Oh, that's great. That's so great. Well, um, and and thank you for doing that because I do, like I said, I mean, it's certainly something that we need more and more of, like offer me the information, but then offer me, you know, what's next? What does that mean? How does that affect my life? So, and good to also remember, like put it in rather than through the prism of, you know, what is political and who's having a food fight over what, um, how does it really affect us, right? How does it affect people? Like, let's make it, let's boil it down to what really matters. Yeah, there's also one of my reporters who covers um, his background really is like uh, social safety net programs and tax policy, and he does a lot of like Hill coverage. I think what really set his reporting apart, and it and it did term- tremendously well for us because people were interested in it, was just like all these things people are fighting about on the Hill, like who are the people that are affected by it and like what do they want to see happen? Like that gets so left out of a lot of policy coverage in Washington. It's just about like you know, which, which party wants what and who's going to stop this and who's going to, you know, demand this in the bill and like the people who are affected by it and what, you know, Americans actually want to see happen gets so left out of the conversation. And so he's always centered people's stories and they do really well because, you know, that's what people want to know is like, like, yeah, telling the story. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like Uh, how is this going to affect me, a person who lives in the world. I mean, I, I have written more speeches and more 
press releases about things that Americans care about, not ever having any access to an actual American who cared about it, you know? And that's like, (laughs) at some point, like we are going to have to guys, we are going to have to like, you know, scratch the surface and figure out who an actual human is that this affects because I get it. You know, you've got all these interests in Washington. I mean, it's the one thing we get dinged for every day is like, we're all about special interests, but you know, who is it that we're really telling the story for? Um, and that, yeah. that makes a ton of sense. It's hard work. I mean, it's hard to identify where those people are and who they are and ask them to be willing to speak up. But, but if you can find that, that's what makes it, that's what makes it real. And that's what makes people want to care about it. Yeah. That's sort of my biggest, um, like focuses has been in the last year. And it's a, just sort of like a, a pet project of mine, which is how do we enhance our, um, like what we're getting from our readers. So we have like a program. If you email scoops at HuffPost, it comes into my inbox. Uh, Uh, But it's like our reader tips program. So uh, obviously it's a public facing email address. So 98% of what I get is useless, but I get some really good stories from people about what they're experiencing, what they're seeing. We do a lot of work to try to, you know, encourage people to, you know, send us their own experiences and thoughts and observations. And it has really actually been really helpful in our reporting in the last year. We've gotten so many stories from people who wrote in and tell us about what's happening in their community, in their workplace. Um, and I just think that it's a, especially a national outlet where we can feel really removed from people that yeah. the, what we can do to curate um, that kind of relationship with, readers and with, uh, you know, people who are affected by the policies that happen in Washington, it's really important to making our reporting relevant to those people. But it's like bringing it right back to your Cumberland County roots, girl. I mean, it's like, you know, let's hear, let's hear it from the real people. I'll take your emails. I'll take your letters. What is it that, you know, what is it that you care about? Like, it's amazing that what worked before is what's working again. So I love to hear that that's something that you guys have in place, because that's exactly, you want them to be able to have access to not the automated uh, answering service that's happening at the paper. Like you want them to be able to to access a real person and tell you what's going on. Yeah. I, you know, it's easy. Like when I worked at a local newspaper, like I lived in that county. I grew up there. I know a lot of people um, there. And that's a lot harder to achieve when you work at a national outlet because, you know, I, you know, we, we can't be everywhere, but how can right. we create meaningful relationships with our readers across the country um, that they aren't just, you know, that we're not just trying to serve stories in front of eyeballs, but that like those stories reflect the people that we, uh, that are are out there. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's important to me. Um, I also, you you asked about like, you know, I'm not in the Beltway anymore. I live in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's also just important to me. Like I'm, I'm not in the Beltway. Like I want, you know, I want the people who live here to be reflected in the national news as well. And, you know, it's, um, it can be tough to do when you are you know, located in one place and it's hard to see what's going on in the rest of the country. So what can we do to overcome those barriers, especially as a national media, media outlet? Well, it's good to get out of the beltway. Um, speaking of which, one of the questions I know that I, um, I mentioned to you before is uh, for the Friday Reporter, since these episodes will air on Friday, uh, I am curious, you know, what is it that, what is it that you guys look forward to doing on the weekend when, uh, when you're out and about in, uh, in Chapel Hill? We have been spending a lot of time uh, outside. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, so they cannot be in my house any longer. Yeah, so get them outside. So we've been outside. hiking and on trails, and there's some really great uh, museums here that have outdoor components, nice. so we've been able to do that. This weekend, actually, uh, so my parents in Jersey are newly vaccinated, and my husband and I are also both newly vaccinated. Oh, right on. coming to visit this weekend and we are very excited to see them. We have not seen them in quite some time. Oh, there's so, nothing like uh, grandparent time too. That is, that is the best. That is really the best. 
They um, are very eager to be here, and we are eager to have someone else to help. <laughs> I have, like, I, I say it every. I feel like I say it every episode. I have teenagers, and I still dig having all that grandparent time. It is, it is really, it is really cool. There's something really great about all of that. Well, Kate, my final question for today is uh, is one that I uh, I've really found to be really fun. Uh, I'm always asking my guests, and I ask you now, who is it that you might recommend uh, to be a future guest on the Friday Reporter podcast? Hmm. I still. I told. I told you. I think about this, and I'm. St- I am still thinking. Okay. Uh, one person you might want to try is uh, uh, Robin Tomlin. She is the editor in chief of the News Observer here in uh, North Carolina. They're based in Raleigh. Um, she's very smart and forward-looking editor who is trying to really make some important changes in local news. And I really respect what she's doing. So awesome. I would, I would That's a great recommendation. Yeah. I mean, I love my Beltway friends, but I also really like to. You know, I mean, I spent my time uh, hustling the Asbury Park Press way, way back when, because that was my local hometown paper, trying to get stories written there for my local elected officials that I worked on campaigns for. So I love uh, the folks that are still there on the front lines in the communities doing great work. So I will reach out to Robin and I will tell her that you sent her, uh, excuse me, sent me her way. Uh, Kate, thanks so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. I love talking to you. I'm glad you're well. And uh, I look forward to... uh, keeping in touch and uh, doing this again. Great. And that's today's episode of the Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.